0: Hi everyone! Welcome to another episode of James Talks. Um, it's great to have you all here. I've got another um, great person on here, another guest today. Um, her name is Kate Hendricks Thomas, and she's uh, an author and a um, she's also a professor of health promotion at Charleston South Southern University, um, um, and she's written several books. She's also a U.S. Marine Corps veteran, and she helps businesses and military veterans improve their holistic health and quality of life, and she's just written a book called uh, Brave, Strong, True, uh, The Modern Warrior's Battle for Balance, and uh, we're going to talk about this book today. She's got some really, really fascinating stuff to talk about and share with us, um, about holistic health and spirituality and things like that, and I'm really excited to talk to her. So welcome, Kate. Great to have you here. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much for having me. I I appreciate the opportunity to chat with your listeners.
0: Great. Fantastic. So yeah, just um, tell us a bit of your own story and kind of how you came to be doing the work you're doing now.
1: Um, Well, like many people, it was a bit of a winding path. I grew up in a family that was very military. I like to joke that the 11th commandment in our household was thou shalt join the Marine Corps. <laughs> so I knew I knew that that was going to be my path, but I didn't intend to stay for a full career. I knew I wanted to go to graduate school mm. and for a long time um, I just felt this calling to work in health. And I originally thought I'd work in the fitness realm and I did that for a little while. Uh, eventually went back to school and because of my experiences some of the experiences of my loved ones over the last five to ten years I've gotten really really passionate about mental health and as well as physical health for military personnel and military veterans uh, bottom line we're not doing that well and mm. we're not doing that well you know. Some of those reasons are cultural. Some of them are circumstantial. But my story was, um, you know, I could have titled my latest book "Please Don't Do Things Like I Did Them." Um, <laughs> chose, you know, chose to go a different direction. But I, I'm really passionate about this concept of resilience and getting ourselves ready. To handle the waves. Now, you know, I I tell a lot of stories about military veterans and stresses that military personnel deal with, but the principles um, for cultivating resilient traits work for anyone in any line of work. But um, when I left the military, I did it very badly. I um, had really lost the ability to connect authentically with other people. I was very invested in what I looked like on paper and in public. Um, you know, I had a zero defects. I could never make a mistake attitude. So when I did, it was almost life ending, world ending. I didn't know how to bounce Um, And so now I'm really passionate about um, talking about the things we don't usually talk about at the Thanksgiving dinner table and doing the things that we can to get ourselves ready for those times when we need to bounce.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. So yeah, you just um, released a book, I think in November, uh, called Brave, Strong, True, which I just mentioned a little bit. So just tell us a bit about what that, that book's all about.
1: Well, um, so I am a behavioral health researcher and a teacher by trade, um, and I wanted to take my research and make it readable, which is kind of challenging because research can be dense and boring. And you know, teachers, you you know, you give us a time to talk about it, and we'll bore any size audience. Um, But I wanted to use stories to bring it to life. I think Mm. that Dr. Brene Brown says uh, Mm. stories are data with a soul. And so my attempt was let's talk about building resilience in military personnel. Uh, Let's talk about what some of these research numbers show us. But let's do that by putting a face on the issues. Because honestly, personally, the reason I care so much is that for me, All of these statistics, all of these numbers, these suicide statistics, these substance abuse numbers, these issues with domestic violence, those are very personal to me. Those have faces and stories and, you know, they're people that I love. So my attempt in Brave Strong True is to personalize these issues that we often talk about from a, you know, kind of clinical distance.
0: Mm. Right. So, yeah, just to kind of unpack some of the ideas that you like going, you know, going into detail about some of the ideas that you know, the principles, kind of that you're, that you kind of explore in the book, and what they kind of, how you came to those conclusions.
1: Yes. Um, well, I talk specifically about building resilience, which is actually something we can do. It's not something you're born with. It can be trained. It can be taught. And I, I broke it down. There's a there are a lot of different techniques that we can um, learn and then put into practice in our daily life, and they really fall under three umbrella categories. And the first is self care. So in in this area, I talk about how you treat your physical body. You know what you're eating, what mindful movement you're practicing. So and that's very very different than um, Hey, I, I go out and I run until I throw up, or hey, I never leave the couch. So we talk about what it means to practice real, you know, real physical self-care uh in those chapters. And then I talk about social support. Um we are wired to connect with God and with one another, and I very, very strongly believe that. There's nothing more stressful to our little human animal body than rejection or loneliness or lack of connectivity with other people. Our bodies use that as as a threat to survival, which is just fascinating. I mean, loneliness will kill you faster than cigarette smoking. Um, And so I talk about the need to reach out and to connect with a trusted tribe and and talk about some specific ways to do that. And I'm talking specifically to military veterans who often deal with issues of alienation and reintegration into the civilian Mm, community. But that applies to any of us. And then the last chapter is something I've personally been exploring the last few years. And that is the evidence basis for spirituality. Um, I said that we're wired to connect with God and with one another. But that's actually, I mean, we can prove that we can look at we can look at the neuroscience and prove the benefit of something called organized religiosity. And I unpack that. Um, and I have to be really careful and say, I'm not a theologian. I mean, I'm a public health professional. So I approach it. I approach the concept of faith from that perspective. What does it do to your body? Why does it matter to have faith? Why is it not just a nice to have, um, and that's been really, really interesting uh, to study over the last few years.
0: So, what actually did you learn about um, spirituality and our and the need and our need for kind of, um, I suppose, religion? I don't want to call it organized religion, but I mean, I personally believe that kind of everything is spiritual, and that everything is that everything, all all different, all those different things you talk about are part of our spirituality in a sense. Yeah. Well, and, I
1: think, and that's what's so interesting is the benefits of faith practices. Some of them are, um, they are because of the social connectivity of a faith community. You have higher levels of social support. Um, some of it is psychological because you're, Faith practices often involve stress management and, you know, putting mm. putting your faith in God and relaxing. Um, but then some of the benefits can't be explained or, or placed in mm. either of those categories. There are things that happen in our brain, areas of our brain that light up and, and, and grow um, when we pray that, that are different than when we're doing a meditation yeah. or some kind of um, other stress management activity. There's real... Biopsychosocial—we call it—meaning like uh, holistically interconnected, multiple layers. Some of it can be explained and, and assigned a number, and some of it can't. Uh, but there's real benefit, and and there there are numbers behind wow. the utility of faith practices.
0: That is incredible. So there's actually some, <laughs> this is, this just blows is, this my mind. You know that there's actually some science about like as a part of our brain which kind of it gets engaged by prayer for example yes. that doesn't get engaged by anything else you know and that, yes. that's that's fascinating it's kind of you know again so, like you're saying you come you come at kind of facing a kind of scientific perspective and it's i think so i mean i found certainly the more i've learned about science the more i've learned about god and god, and god has actually got bigger and my faith has got bigger you know uh, it 's just fascinating that there 's actually it, it, it looks more like in the way that we were we were created there 's actually a space for us to it 's not just a matter of something that we can choose to do it 's something that actually we 're built to pray almost we 're built I, to have a relationship with God you know there we are.
1: We're wired to do it is how I like to talk about it. I mean, we're neurologically and, you know, our endocrine systems are wired to pray and connect with the divine. And, you know, secular social psychology talks about it as the very top level of the Maslow hierarchy. And it's this notion of transcendence. But really, what is it? It's connecting with the divine and it optimizes our health. And so if you're trying to be resilient, meaning you know, for lack of more graceful phrasing, ready to take a punch in the jaw when life dishes it out, Mm. then you want to be optimally healthy. And that means, you know, the physical body, the social support and the spirituality. Um, So that's been interesting to teach. So I teach resilience building now. Um, Again, not a theologian. I'm not interested in, you know, I'm not interested in spreading dogma. So Mm. How do I teach the utility of spiritual fitness, or, or whatever whatever word you wanna you wanna use for it? Because at the end of the day, um, if you want to optimize your health, it's what we're it's what we're wired for.
0: Wow, that is. I mean, <laughs> I don't know where to begin really with that. It's, um, I mean, what does this look like in your own in your own life? In your own kind of, what's been your own spiritual journey?
1: Well, and I enjoyed talking about that in the book um, because it's just I, I, in so many ways my personal narrative is a bit of a cautionary tale, and I talk about I was raised, um, you know, in a in a house uh, that had kind of a divided faith community, but we were we were believers in my house, but I fell away from that for a long time mm. because I hate I hated the um, the just fractious debate and hostility and some of the very human elements of religion. I got very, very busy and kind of thought I was too good for all of that. And I, I, I really tried to share the way that I shifted away from practices of faith because I wanted to be above the fray, really. Mm. Um, And so I just kind of turned away from it entirely. And because I was in this very intense military culture where you're working a lot and, you know, you're on duty on Christmas, you're not celebrating Christmas. It was easier to do that. It was easier to move away from faith practices. Mm. And that wasn't authentic. Um, And I... Was blown away when I read Sarah Bessie's "Jesus Feminist" because she talks about the way that her mother having babies brought her to faith, and that was my experience. I became a mm. mother, and I realized that I hadn't been living in any kind of authentic manner spiritually, and um, I really just started to redirect some time and energy towards it, mm. and uh, and it changed things.
0: Wow! So how, did, so how did it change things? What happened? I mean, like practically speaking.
1: I would say, um, well, one, it made me interested in studying it academically. So I, I have always done, you know, I've always kind of looked at the, um, I've always looked at mental health promotion from, from a different lens. Really, I mean, I'm am I'm an academic, so it's so easy to stay purely secular with everything that you study. But if you study health, you really have to study faith and spirituality. And I had not been doing that. So I think it made me more well-rounded academically because I started, I started looking at the relationship between faith and being. Um, personally, it made me a much better wife. It made me a much better friend. It made me a more peaceful person. Um, I'm a little bit wound up normally, so I really need to kind of remind myself, uh, to be still and know that I am God constantly. And for me, that requires practice. Um, I don't think faith is something you can say you believe in and then just leave it lying, which is mm-hmm. what I tried to do for about a decade, really. Um, you have to practice it. You have to practice it in community and the joy and the peace and the, um, you know, the better version of myself that I'm able to put forward, the more authentic, the, you know, more humble version of myself that I'm able to put forward. Um is certainly better for
0: the people that are in my life. <laughs> I was a, I was a little bit nuts, so. Wow. Well, I'm really I really want to kind of get into this kind of um, things being connected the the social support, the self care, and the spirituality. Um, I mean, I mean, when I looked at those three, like when I, those three concepts, I I really did see a little bit of um i mean social support is again you know because science tells us that we're built for community that we thrive in community that we you know and even on a cellular level we kind of exist in community and that's kind of what that is about and then you have the self-care which is knowing that you're valued and you're loved and you're accepted as you are kind of about all it's about grace and then you have the kind of spirituality the faith the belief the spiritual practices and that it's. it's just, I just find it really fascinating how these are all connected, and it's almost. It's a kind of like we were made that way. You know what I mean?
1: We were, and if you neglect one, you neglect all. I mean, self care for some people, it can seem. Um, it can seem almost overly simple, but if you are neglecting, um, not feeding your body well, not treating your body well, you're going to have issues with fatigue and hormonal imbalance, and you're not going to have the margin to truly practice your faith. You're not going to have the margin to reach out a hand to someone that needs you to do so, and thus you're going to have lower levels of social support. So even practicing self-care debates at a very basic level, and I talk about this a lot with leaders Um, people can start to feel that such things are selfish. If I take the time to make myself a healthy meal, or if I take the time to go and exercise my body in a way that feels mindful and positive and and beneficial to me, then I'm not doing other things that I should be doing. And, and a real, you know, A really good person wouldn't do such selfish stuff, but you can't show up in those other realms without taking care of that base level. And for me, that was revolutionary because I felt like if you're not, you know, if you're not constantly working in the social support realm and, you know, focusing outward, thinking of others, uh, something's wrong. And yet you can't do that well. If you aren't focusing, you know, in those other areas, so in some ways, when you really think about the way that we're wired, it's permission. You know, it's permission to honor yourself so that you can honor others, so that you can honor God. <clears throat> to me, that felt extremely liberating.
0: Can I just say that again: permission to honor...
1: permission to honor yourself and honor your body and and take care of it and take care of yourself so that you can truly do so for others.
0: Yeah, pushing to pushing on yourself so that you can honour others, so that you can honour God. That's yeah. that's really powerful. I mean, it's really, I, uh, I mean, this is kind of it is a quite a revolutionary idea because I've heard a lot of people talking about it recently, and it was kind of new to me because when people started saying, "Oh, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to like you've got to look after yourself," it kind of initially you kind of think, "Well, oh, that's a bit selfish," you know, putting yourself first yes. kind of thing, because yes. that's what it and- sounds like.
1: And in the military community, that's why we're losing 22 veterans a day to suicide. Because Mm -hmm. to say that I need help or that I need sounds selfish and horrible. That's antithetical to our value system. We're about, you know, we're about being this helping other and and within the boundaries of warrior culture. So within this uh, community, within my community, it's killing us. It's literally killing us. And I think the ripple effects in all communities can be felt this you know this uh, deprioritization of holistic health is is dangerous. It's not how we're wired, um, and I have you know I, I I'm really honest in the book about the times that I have absolutely failed to practice. You know what I am today preaching, and I think that to me it it makes it resonate more. Um, I'm so grateful to I have some other some other veterans who shared their true stories and their experiences,
0: um, in the book, just to, again, to put a face to the issues. Yeah. wow. I mean, it is, because I've, I've certainly struggled with, you know, certainly with the, um, I mean, the self care one is probably the one that I've struggled the most with, to be honest, because obviously I'm part of a church and I've got that support network and I've got the spiritual practices to a certain extent as well. Um, but the self care, I think that's something that we all love the reasons we've talked about. It, something we struggle with. But actually, it's actually really important to take care of yourself. And I've noticed, actually, because when I've taken more care of myself, I've been in a healthier position to help other people. I've been in a, Absolutely. Uh, been in a healthier position to, uh, to grow in faith as well. Because, it, I mean, I think it's been scientifically proven, like you know, what you put in your body affects what comes out of your body. You know, it actually yes. affects your mood. Um. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, and yeah, you know, as I've changed my diet, I've actually had more energy because I've had a better diet because I'm putting better stuff into me and I'm taking better care of myself, and that's what happens. And um, but I, I'm so, I, I really, really do believe you can't that these these three principles are really, really important. I think for all of us, and um, yeah. So do you? How do you now practice these in your own? in your own life? I mean, what do you, how do you live this out now?
1: I need, I need the constant reminder. And to be completely honest with you, I despise journaling and yet I must do it. Um, I need constant reminders to practice self care. Uh, I'm the mom of a young toddler and it's very tempting to just embrace martyrdom and uh, (laughs) say, okay, I've got to work and I've got to take care of my family and I don't have time for myself. Um, and I have to remind myself constantly by writing it down. You know, have I taken time to manage my stress? Have I taken time to pray? Um, you know, I, I think doing devotionals or journaling, um, having practices. You know, be they faith practices, self care practices um, that allow you to check in with yourself. Or those are incredibly important. Um, I tend to my my default is I'm just going to power through. I'm going to focus on you know the primary items on the to do list, and everything else will fall by the wayside. If I'm not checking in with myself, typically in writing for me, um, mm. I, I'll I'll neglect I'll neglect things. And the other day, actually, it happened. Uh, I looked in my cupboard. I hadn't visited the grocery store in over a week. There was nothing healthy and fresh in my cupboard and i thought you know this isn't practicing self-care and what does that mean for the toddler that i'm trying so hard to take care of you know and nothing good um so i think of it as presenting my best self and and try to do those daily reminders
0: yeah that's really important so you so you have daily reminders to do that that's really it's about getting into it's it's like getting into a good rhythm isn't it
1: absolutely
0: um and I've seen that you've, you've written a bit about um, things like yoga and things like that, about how that can be beneficial. Now, obviously, some Christians don't think yoga is like that. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't
1: know that, actually, until but, pretty um, recently. That's but, so interesting.
0: But, I, but to me, I mean, to me, I mean, there is, a, there is a kind of, there has been a kind of historically a religious kind of dimension to it. But I don't think that, I think a lot of the yoga that people do now is kind of not really about that. It's more about personal well-being. And I think, um, from what I've heard, some of the I haven't done yoga myself, but some of the practices that you know that are used are quite, quite healthy and quite, quite beneficial. I mean, Absolutely. is that is that something that you've found?
1: Personally, yes. I mean, I'm a yoga teacher now. Um, my approach to exercise and wellness for a long time was very much pain as weakness, leaving the body. And I am 36 years old. And I have all kinds of injuries to prove that I used to abuse my poor body. Um, And for me, I hit the yoga mat because I had injured my back in the weight room doing something stupid. And I had to, I mean, I wasn't going to be able to do anything else. And I really found that all of a sudden, slowing down and merging my breath to my movement, it just absolutely changed the physical and the psychological benefit of the exercise session. Um, whereas before, again, if I vomited at the end of a run, that meant I was doing something good. I really, I think what, what counts as mindful movement changes, uh, based on somebody's personality preference, maybe season of their life, there have been times for me where mindful movement was trail running with my dog. And that was, that was truly, um, you know, something that de escalated my nervous system and did something good for my physical body. Um, yoga has certainly been that for me at different times. Uh, I think, I think the question that you bring up about the controversial nature of yoga is really interesting because, you know, I, I grew up in the tradition in a very Western, you know, using it for stress management. Mm. Um, there's certainly, you know, and there's a tradition of yoga in Christian mysticism, and I, I, I didn't know how controversial it was for a long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I, I would definitely I would call myself a Christian, but um, certainly I, I, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus and that kind of thing, and I'm part of the church. But um, I'm very much exploring a lot of. Um, uh, the mystics, and um, non-dual thinking, and um, stuff like, people like Richard Rohr. Um and I think there is, I definitely think there's a place for things like this that, you know, you, you don't have to attach all the religious connotations, you can just do it as a, almost like a spiritual practice, as a kind of way of, um, you yeah, um, know, helping your body, helping your, um, yeah, You know what I mean. Um, I agree.
1: I I do agree. There's actually a woman in the states named Brooke Boone who started a nonprofit uh, that does specifically Christian yoga. She's merged, you know, yoga and stretching poses with Christian prayer, Um, and she's super controversial. I'm just learning about all of this. I I find it interesting because, again, I've always thought of yoga as a mindful movement practice, Um, and that is whatever you make of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing as well is um, meditation um, because that's again that was something that was kind of said, oh no, Christians don't meditate, but actually, um, oh yeah, they I do. <laughs> they do, yeah, and I I, I actually exactly. think it's a really 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 healthy thing to do. I mean, because you can you, you can meditate on anything, so you could meditate on scripture, a passage of scripture, you could pra- make it part of your prayer life, you know, um, and again the whole thing about slowing down your breathing. I'm very I've always been fascinated by that because I, I heard um, a guy called Rob Bell talk about how you're meant to breathe like seven times a minute or something like that, like every 10 seconds. And you're meant to breathe from like your stomach, not from your chest. And you're meant to get 99% of your energy through breathing. And, um, and he and he, he went through this process of slowing down his brain and training his brain and, and slowing down his breathing. And he said it was absolutely revolutionary for him and he had loads more energy and was a lot more peaceful it was kind of really good for his kind of mindfulness and all that kind of thing and i i think all of these things are connected um and all of them i mean it's certainly coming from from a kind of spiritual perspective can all of us all of these things can help us um be more the kind of person that we're meant to be um Absolutely. and Uh, Be more as we are created to be and be more in tune with God as well, because I found that the more I've explored these ideas, actually, the bigger that God has got for me and uh, the bigger the kind of the Bible gets, in a sense, because it's all connected. And I think people I think if people started to see that, that, um, that they would actually get a bigger and deeper relationship with God.
1: I agree. I agree. And uh, I think as you know, the more I study behavioral health science, neuroscience, the more I study the way the body works, uh, the more uh, joyfully comfortable I am in my faith, because I I think it's absolutely fascinating. And your breath and your um, your nervous system, everything is everything is wired to um, to keep us peaceful and compassionate with one another and you know and connected to god
0: yeah absolutely so we're
1: the ones that get ourselves out of whack honestly i feel like we we have to work pretty hard to take ourselves out of that homeostatic balanced place uh and yet we do it beautifully
0: <laughs> yes we're very very good we become we become experts at it over the years i think
1: yes <laughs> so
0: <laughs> just looking back at your kind of your story and what you've learned how do you think your life would be different now if you'd understood these principles like right from the beginning?
1: I think that I would have been a better military leader. Um, and, I, and I do talk about that in the book. I would, have been, I would have been better. You know, my very first platoon, my very first leadership position, I had 75 people uh, that I was charged with taking care of. Yeah. If I had been more comfortable, confident, authentic, I think I would have done that. Uh, I would have been better at doing that. I would have been a much better communicator. Um, I talk in the book specifically about several times I would have been a better friend um, and helped uh, fellow veterans navigate stresses, like, you know, getting that Dear John letter. Instead of taking that friend out to the bars and, you know, just coping that way, how could I have been? I really love... um, Peter Haas, he wrote Ferrisectomy. Right. He talks about the inconveniently godly friend. And I really wish there are several junctures in my professional and personal past. I really wish I'd been an inconveniently godly friend instead of just one more person exacerbating the imbalances that we all kind of culturally dealt with. I was I was part of the problem and I I would like to have been part of the solution back then.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, so, so kind of, um, so what are you kind of doing now? What is kind of, I mean, you've just launched the book. So are you, um, how are you kind of spreading that message as well? Apart from the message of the book, I mean, how are you getting it out there to people now?
1: Well, um, I am on the advisory board for a summit series that is trying to bring uh, service providers and academics and veterans together. Uh, It's called the Service Member to Civilian Summit. Um, I work with nonprofits like Team Red white and Blue and Wounded Warrior Project to provide trainings and retreats based on the principles of this book um, to provide you know experiential learning opportunities for veterans They've been fantastic about um, making some of those happen and I am trying to do um, I'm trying to do a little bit of writing a little bit of speaking and just sharing in any venue I can um, you know, I'd like to contribute to the dialogue. There are some wonderful, caring, and tremendous people who are out there um, keeping it going, and I just—I hope to be some small part of that if it is at all useful.
0: Well, this is a really, really important message, I think, and I think, I think all of us can benefit from it. I mean, it, I think, it, like you say, the implications of, of this of these ideas apply can apply to all of us. And, you know, it has implications for everybody. Um I mean what practical advice would you give to people who are kind of exploring these ideas and practices and about like, maybe where they t- where to begin you know because there's a lot of stuff so where would they kind of begin what would they be their route into it be
1: Well I think the first thing to do is assess like looking at your own holistic wellness um there are, there are lots of tools that you can use I I wrote one with a with a social worker colleague of mine. It's called the Just Roll With It Wellness Journal. Um, and the beginning portion is all assessment. It's all where do you stand? You know, how would you self-report or self-evaluate your satisfaction with your professional health, with your um, financial health, with your social health and your friendships? And the, the first part is kind of looking at that visually. Uh, and every time I do it, I do it maybe, you know, twice a year. Every time I do it, there's a different gap. Oh, well, I've really let my, you know, I've really let one area slip a bit. Let me, let me make a course correction. Um, so after you do the assessment, I think you have to set a couple of goals for yourself, attainable, measurable, reachable goals, and track your progress towards those goals. Cutting yourself slack, understanding that Um, achieving holistic health is a series of course corrections and rudder Mm. steers and working to become resilient is not something any of us ever do perfectly and in 30 days or less Mm. Um, so I would say start with assessment and and start from a place of acceptance
0: fantastic that's really really great I think um, I think there's a lot more we could we could talk about probably with these ideas so Hopefully, I'll have you back and we'll, we'll kind of explore this stuff a bit more. It would be really great if we could do that. Thank um, you. Yeah, so oh, it's been great having you on. Um, yeah, so thank you for, 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 for coming today, Kate. It's been great talking to you, and um, I hope everyone's benefited a lot from it. I think there's a lot of ideas here that we can begin to unpack and explore a bit more uh, in the Absolutely. future. So thank you very much. Um, okay, everyone, that's... Um, That's all uh, for the James Talks for today, and um, I will catch you soon.